Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to Dilly Ding Dilly Dong, the Leicester Mercury Leicester City podcast. I'm James Sharp. With me today is my colleague Jordan Blackwell. And today we are discussing two exits. First of all, uh, England's exit from the World Cup following their semi-final defeat to Croatia and also the departure of Riyad Mahrez to Man City, eventually getting his dream move to the big club. John, first of all, talk about England. Mm-hmm. Watched the game last night. Football is not coming home, mm-hmm. at least not for another two or four years. Uh, defeat 2-1 to Croatia, despite having taken the lead very early in the game through a Kieran Trippier free kick. How are you feeling now at the night, the, the day after the game? Are you are you disappointed? Are you sad? Are you hopeful? Are you happy that that England got as far as they did? Um, I'm not feeling too bad. I, I think there's a, a, I think because they exceeded expectations, I think there's a, that reduces any kind of disappointment uh, from it. I think there's you're always a little bit gutted that the they didn't take an opportunity that was there. Um, they. They had chances in the first half, but after that, they didn't really play very well at all, to be honest. And Croatia grew into the game and, and controlled it from there on and, and probably deserved the win. Yeah, I thought that second half, especially, was one of the poorest I've seen at, at that World Cup. And then as soon as Modric and Rakitic started getting on the ball as much as they did, uh, it, it, it did look, they did look dangerous. And then as soon as the goal went in, it looked like England just kind of fell apart a little bit. And... More in general terms, like you say, England have surpassed expectation, which I think is why I'm disappointed and gutted that they're out, but I'm also, I've enjoyed the ride, really. I've, mm. I've, I've, yeah. I've been, I felt I could relate to England more than I have done before. Usually I'm not overly fussed about watching England, but this time, maybe it's because we've got two players there in Harry Maguire and Jamie Vardy, or maybe it's because of the work of Gareth Southgate's done in trying to close that gap between overpaid, overhyped footballers and the fans. Have you felt like you've been able to relate to this team? Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that's the key thing. It doesn't seem like there's too many big players in the team. I think always, you know, we've, we've had this post-golden generation that was around sort of Euro 2004, World Cup 2006, that sort of era. Um, and it always felt like there were really, you know, Superstars. Essentially, there was a few superstars in the team: Gerard, Rooney, Lampard, Terry, people like that. But this team, it's, it seems like it's all on a fairly level playing field. There's sort of 23 players that are all about as good as each other. I think it's clear that you know Kane is. Mm. You could class Kane as as world class, um, but it doesn't feel like he he's, he's going to get carried away or he's got too big of an ego or anything like that. So it, yeah, it's, I think because it feels like a squad. Um, it feels like a you know Southgate's really sort of helped that that squad mentality. Um, I think that that really helps fans to to engage with the team. How have you how impressed have you been with Southgate? Not only just because he's brought waistcoats and just being a generally nice bloke back into fashion. How have you 
how impressed have you been with the with the way he's handled everything? Um, yeah, I think he's he's been really good, and obviously the, the you know him being nice and, and things like that. That's you know that is one of the the main talking points. I think tactically he's he's been fairly good. I think he's obviously England systems uh, I would unique probably. I don't think it's you know it's a bit out there. It's not mm. uh, you know a four four two or even a four five one or anything like that. It's kind of um, you know, it's not the, the sort of formation that you see week in, week out in the yeah. Premier League. You know, and he's clearly thought about developing that and using players in certain ways. So I think that that's something that can that England can be um, hopeful for. Um, I think he, he's clearly got some good ideas. You know, I was here reading about you know how he was looking at basketball players to and 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 the NBA to work out how to do set pieces well and how to find space in the box. And, you know, that kind of thinking you know bodes really well. Um, so yes, I've been really impressed with him, and it's so it's nice to have an England manager that has no ego whatsoever, doesn't really not bother about any praise. He wants to all go to the, the players or his backroom staff. So um, yeah, no, he's been really good. I would agree with that. One player who has received quite a lot of praise yeah. um, during this competition, and a player who we've all praised all of last season, um, is Harry Maguire. Yeah. A lot of pundits and. Um, and a lot of people and journalists were, were saying were picking him out as potential Harry Maguire as potentially England's weak link or weak a weakish link in this back three. Southgate stuck with him and said, "No, I want my players to bring the ball out. I want them to be good on the ball." And as we saw last season, Maguire is excellent on the ball. And Maguire impressed us as much, if not more, than than we'd have hoped. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of the the pre-tournament thoughts on Maguire were because he was the only outfield player that didn't play for a top 16 mm. uh, or certainly in, in that, that main starting 11 um, and so people don't see him as often uh, I think that's both uh, true with the, the pundits um, and also with the fans as well you know uh, you know when Maguire got called up you could you know look around other clubs fans and you know Newcastle fans were saying oh Jamal LaSalle should have been in the side ahead of Maguire or Brighton fans might be saying Lewis Dunk should have mm. been there but I think they've now they've watched him over over six or seven games they've seen actually how good he is that is something that, that we knew and that I'm sure Leicester fans knew as well you know how comfortable he is on the ball how you know how useful it is that he can bring it through yeah. the field and, and take the ball forward Um we all knew that, but he's he's shown that on a world stage against some high quality opponents. So I think that that's obviously a boost to his profile, and hopefully it'll be a boost to Leicester in that he'll be even more confident in his own ability now. Yeah, because he's become almost this oddly shaped poster boy yeah. of this new kind of humble, unassuming England team. I think it is because he embodies it more than anyone. Because yeah. and we've said it a few times, and we mean it in the most affectionate way. He doesn't really look like a footballer. Like everyone goes on about his massive head, and Jamie Vardy calls him slabhead. And when when he signed, and we spoke to the people at the Hall Daily Mail, they said he doesn't look like a footballer, and he he doesn't, does he? He looks like a normal. He looks like a normal bloke, some kind of big lumbering fan. And he was a fan when he went there in Euro 2016, and he would have been a fan and gone to watch it had he not been in the squad. He just feels like he's one of us he feels like he, he's just a, he's a fan really but then you see him on the pitch and the performances he puts in and he's he's brilliant he, he's been so good and he's become 
this unlikely hero of yeah. of the England team. It's yeah. great, and I think it's as well because um, because set plays have become such a an important part yeah. of England style. He's always getting involved, so he's always you know, he wins so many. Yeah, and it's you know there was you know when England got free kicks and corners, that was when there was you know excitement um, within the fans and knowing that he was in there to try yeah. and get his head on it and you know they'd always aim for you know for Maguire even if it's to just get a flick on or or, or to score as he did um, against Sweden so I think that re- that really helps as well because he, he was playing such an integral role at both ends of the pitch yeah and I backed him as to score first <laughs> in every game so far so that goal in the quarterfinal made me love him even more than, than it did before I guess as a Leicester fan looking at it you kind of you are split between the part of you that feels like you know, a proud parent at a nativity and going, oh, look at look at him go, look at him go. <laughs> then the other part of it, fans might think, oh, he's really good and now everyone knows he's really good and he's doing it on the world stage. How easy is it going to be, or difficult is it going to be, to keep him? Um, I would say this summer... They'll, it'll be okay. They'll, I think they will be able to keep hold of him. I, I don't think, although obviously performing well at a World Cup is impressive, the sort of clubs that would be looking at Maguire would consider his form over a whole season or a few seasons. Mm. They're not going to, you know, gone are the days when, you know, a player will have three good games at a World Cup and someone will buy them off the back of that. That doesn't happen anymore. Oh, my goodness. The clubs, <laughs> clubs are scouted. Uh, clubs are scouting all the time. They, they want to make sure that the players, you know, are absolutely right because of the amount of money that they're spending on them. So I don't think necessarily that Maguire doing well at the World Cup will increase the chances of a, of a club coming in for him. His performances over the whole season at Leicester um, will have already you know sorted that out. That will already probably be the top six clubs looking at him and, and yeah. weighing it up. Maybe maybe for next year. There's already been we've already had links, haven't we, with Man City looking at intro, being interested in stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and obviously there was there was links with Spurs last summer as well. And and, and Craig Shakespeare revealed recently that that he, Maguire chose Leicester over Spurs, probably because he, he knew he wasn't going to replace mm. either Vertonghen or Aldevera. But there's, there will be a point where Maguire becomes good enough to start for a top six team and that's when he'd probably think okay well if I can move on I mean he's clearly ambitious yeah. he's, been, he's taken a step up at every stage of his mm. career whenever he's, he, he's felt like that was the right thing to do and he's always gone into a team and started so I don't think he clearly wants to play he's yeah. not going to settle for being a third choice centre back he wants to be one of yeah. the first two um, so I think for the time being not only will Leicester be able to keep him, but he will probably want to stay as well. Yeah, because I think it was quite... Um, Claude Paul said last year, I think it was quite a telling thing that he said when he was asked about the speculation regarding Man City. Paul said, and it wasn't really lost in translation, it was quite accurate, and he said, as long as we can... He says, at Leicester, if we can keep improving and we can keep hmm. uh, an environment in which Harry Maguire feels like he is performing at a level that he wants to then there's no reason why we can't keep him as in if Leicester keep progressing and they've got ambitious owners they want to look to push to Europe and push into that into that top 8, 7 6 is pushing it but maybe that's what they want to do if they can keep doing that yeah. then they then they will think well why can't we keep him and then Leicester as we know at the minute from what we're told Leicester are once he gets back are going to try and negotiate a new contract with him 
and make him one of the top played top paid players at the club, which from my opinion is is fine. If he's playing as one of your best performing players, then he deserves to be one of the top yeah the top paid players. So as long as Leicester can do that, I think for now at least he's in the right place. Yeah, and I think Rio Rio Barros's exit sort of frees up some of the the wage budget as well. So there is potential there to you know to increase the the pay of certain. Um, Top performing players, and that is a very lovely segue <laughs> into the second exit that we're about to talk about, which is uh, the eventual departure of Riyad Mahrez from Leicester City, who completed a move to Man City in a deal that we believe is worth around about sixty million pounds, um, give or take add-ons that will come out in the wash. What are your overriding emotions from this? So for me, personally, I wrote a thing about this in today's paper. I, I miss him, and, I, and I, I do miss him, and I will miss him. But it's come more of a relief than anything, that it's yeah. finally done, because we've known he, he released his first statement that he wanted to leave the club over 400 days ago. It's dragged on for well over a year, and... It has been and was at times last season, especially during January when he went AWOL and Leicester lost all their momentum. It's been a, a cloud that, is, yeah. that has been over Leicester. Now it's not there anymore. How, how does Riyad Mahrez, no longer being a Leicester City player, how do you feel about that? I think you've summed it up there. I think it's just you know, it's a relief to, to, have it, to have it over and done with. We kind of knew after, after the January window ended and he was still here and he went AWOL, but then we... we Found out not long after that Man City and Leicester were, were mm. still in talks about Mahrez sort of behind the scenes, um, and it was kind of obvious from that point that in the summer something would be sorted. You know, it wasn't you obviously only get a month to do things in in January, and, and Man City's bid came very late. But with a few months to sort it out in the summer, you thought, well, they're going to get it done eventually. So it it it's good to have it finally done. Both clubs can move on, particularly Leicester. They can start thinking about what they do uh, without him um, so from that point of view it's great um, but like you say there is a now a massive hole um, they've lost an extremely talented player and their most creative player and that's something that Leicester I feel have always struggled with and that mm. they are the most difficult players to find the players that can unlock defences can create chances um, and now Leicester have lost one of the best in the league at that, so that's that's a um, you know that's a massive deal, and it's going to be really hard work for club well to find a way around that. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll come to how on earth Leicester replace him in a in a in a while. How will he be remembered um, at Leicester? Will he be remembered for the magician who put three Aston Villa players on the backsides with one turn? or turned Aspilicueta inside out, or bent that free kick round the wall against Bournemouth, or danced past Man City's defence um, and made us think, hang on, this this could happen. Yeah. Or will he be remembered as the the, pe- the petulant boy that wanted to leave and wasn't allowed to, chucked his toys out of the pram, and... <sighs> How will he be remembered, uh, and how should he be remembered? Yeah, but I, in my opinion, it, it would always be about the football. Um, mm. You know, in the the terms, the the you know the 
the fun and the joy he brought to, to playing for Leicester and to the fans, you know, and getting fans off the seat with it, with his skill and um, you know, with his goals and assists and whatever. That's what he should be remembered for. Um, yes, I think there, there will be some supporters, and perhaps rightly, will focus on his antics during mm. transfer windows because there has been a fair amount over the past, you know, fifteen yeah. months or so. Um, so, yeah, it's difficult to say, but I think once he's been at Man City a while or you know, or he's even moved on from there I think in five or ten years time everyone will look back on Morris's time at the club as a great one and he will be seen as one of Leicester's greatest ever players there no doubt that you know, maybe in ten years time if we'll be doing a Leicester City's greatest ever eleven he will be in it there's no doubt about that for, for as long as I, you know, for the next hundred years he's probably going to be in it because yeah. he has been that good um, and he's achieved something that Leicester probably won't achieve in the near future. So I think, yes, he'll be remembered fondly. Favourite, eventually. Favourite Riyadh moment? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the, the the goal against Manchester City in the title-winning season is, you know, is often put down as the moment. Yeah. Um, from that season, I think. You know that was the a lot of people say that was the moment they started but to realise. Did realize. that make you squeal the most though? No, I think that, that just I don't know. Just in general, is you know bringing the ball out of the air yeah. with ease. That those kinds of things. You know, putting the ball through a player's legs, anything like that. I, the the flip flap is up there for me against yeah. Philip Volscheid, who now no longer has a club. It affected him <laughs> that badly, and where he's just looking over his shoulder. Yeah, he has no yeah, idea. That's almost up like there. Cartoon. It yeah, was, yeah, that's probably that. It's either that one. I have a bit of a soft spot for when he fainted to shoot to cross the ball against Brighton and, and he, he twitched <laughs> yeah. out of the way. There are so many, that's the point. There are, it's yeah. those little moments. And as I wrote in that piece, it, his record will always say 178 appearances, however many goals, however many assists. But that kind of misses the point of what makes him so special. It's those little moments yeah. that makes you, makes you laugh a little bit, makes you smile, and those bits that I think Leicester, that Leicester will miss. Having said that, do you feel he will be a success at Man City? Because a lot of people are thinking, why are they buying him? Why mm. Why do they need to buy? Look at the team they've got already. Why are they signing another attacking player? Do you, do you, do you think he will be a success there under Pep Guardiola? Or can you see him getting a touch of the Danny Drinkwaters? Um, I know. I think he will be a success. I think he's too good not to be a success. Um, I think with Drinkwater, his style was very specific. And I think... He did so well at Leicester because he was playing in a Leicester team that hasn't translated to Chelsea. With Mares, I think his talents are, are universal. He will do well in any team, but it's how often he plays. Um, I think Guardiola's clearly got a defined system, which Sane and Sterling are perfect in that. Um, so as long as they're fit, he won't replace either of them, unless he gets a good run in the team and then it becomes difficult to drop him. Um, but I think he, he offers the reason they would want him is because he offers something slightly different in that he's more he's more of an on the ball player yeah. where you could say that Sterling and Sane maybe even Bernardo Silva as well are more off the ball players particularly Sterling um, the reason he gets so many goals is because his movement off the ball is so good not necessarily his, his, his ability on it and Sane's you know all about pace and yeah. getting in behind and things like that whereas Mahrez is he's not as quick, but he's got he's got the skill. He can get by people. He can you know one on one situation. He's brilliant. Um, so th- they're the sorts of qualities that maybe Guardiola thinks he lacks in his team, 
where if they're in a game where they're struggling, which to be honest isn't going to be very <laughs> yeah. often given how the, how they played last season. But you know when they get into the last stages of the Champions League or something like yeah. that, and they come up against the you know the really really good teams: Juventus, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona. Because if they have ambitions to win the Champions League, they will face one of those teams. Yeah. If they need somebody to unlock a defence. Sterling and Sane aren't working. That that's when they need Riyad Mahrez. So, and I think they'll think, oh, sixty million for that is it, it, fine. Yeah, because they they wanted to pay fifty million pound in January when basically Sane was injured for four weeks, and they wanted him as basically an injury replacement. Yeah. But I, I think he will be an excess, and, and I hope so as well because I think his talent deserve it. And as much as he's been a bit a bit of an idiot at times, whether he's been advised to be or not, yeah. his talents are are worth being showcased at that top level. Question now though comes is how on earth do Leicester replace him? Because you mentioned earlier, there aren't many players in the Premier League with his kind of record. I mean, he's, we've, we've said it so many times, he's the only player to register double figures of goals and assists in two of the last three seasons. Hazard hasn't done that, De Bruyne has not done that, only Riyad has done that. Taking that out of your team, how do you replace it? Because the conundrum, I, I see that there are three options here. You either re- Replace him directly. You bring in someone who you feel can do, grow into what he can do. Or you change the way you play to forget he's not there. Take that first option, direct replacement. That is it's potentially impossible because yeah. the quandary you've got is that Mares thought he was too good to be at Leicester. So anyone that has his kind of return will either A, be at a bigger club than Leicester in the first place, or B, feel he should be better than Leicester. So can Leicester afford or attract that kind of player? Is is that an option? No, I don't think so. I think it would have to be one of the other two options. I think if you're a club like Leicester and you know that you can't compete in terms of, in terms of standing, you can't compete in the transfer market with the big six clubs, the only way to try and catch them up is to buy players when they're young um, and hope they develop into top-class players. Leicester are clearly doing that. Um, I think, that, and particularly the signing of Madison shows that that is mm. their intention. And even in signing Inacho as well last um, last summer, I think they're the sorts of signings that they they should be making. Um, so yes, I think that would be impossible to to find somebody anywhere near as good as Morris that would want to come to Leicester. So yes, young players are the are the way forward. But there is the possibility of changing formation in the short term. Um, you know, to try and to try and counteract that, and maybe think of something different. Yeah, and I think this is possibly where Leicester can do that because all of last season, you looked at that team and thought it's crying out for a three at the back because you've got genuine full back wing backs in at the time, Chilwell and Albrighton. Now you've got Pereira there, yeah. who is a very very attacking full back. You've got Harry Maguire, who has just shown the world how good he is in a back three. You've got they've just signed Johnny Evans. That's another central defender. Had they had, had they taken the option to sign Dragovic, that would have been your back three sorted. But there's still time to to bring in another one. You've just brought in Madison, who in the Championship did what Mares did in double figures for goals and assists in a pretty bang average Norwich side. So Les will be hoping to that he can make the step forward but he's a number 10 he's not a winger um, and when Mahrez was in the team you always thought well how do you fit Mahrez into that system because he doesn't defend so he can't be a wing back 
but he's also he doesn't like being a number ten. He likes to be out wide. So where does he fit? Now you don't have that problem, mm. and you've got a genuine number ten in Madison, and you've got an abundance of central midfielders in Diddy and Abor and Silver and Chowdhury and all the rest of them. Is that a way to go? Yes, I think so. I think whether Powell goes for it, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I, he's not. He's not really been very experimental in you know in his, his formations in his time in France. He's generally stuck to a back four, but I think it's certainly something they could try. Um, I think you know you're saying about centre backs. They've obviously they've, they've only bought one this summer, um, but I think they have enough centre backs there that they could they could work a back three. I think you could have Morgan as the as the central one because he's come back. He's had a, he's had a break, and I know he got loads of stick last season because his body was catching up with him with injuries. Yeah. But he's come back, he looks like he's come back fit and fresher. He's an option. Johan Ben Loan, who's just played at the World Cup, he's an option. Christian Fuchs is another option. Yeah, yeah. Sam Hughes, who's done brilliantly for the development squad, is it time to, to give him a chance in that back yeah. three? So I think you're probably right, there are options Yeah, there. Daniel Amate as well, you know, he plays centre-back for, for Ghana. Um, so I think that's something that could be tried with Morgan. I'd, I think that may even suit him a little bit better if he was... To play in the central of a three-man backline because there's not quite so much movement there. Yeah. You, you're kind of the, the man there that that makes sure you're in the right position in the box to to clear and um, make blocks. And I think Morgan is very good at that. It's perhaps legs are catching up with him in terms of chasing down strikers, but you wouldn't necessarily yeah. have to do that all the time in a, in a back three. Um, so yes, I think that would work. As you said, they've got loads of central midfield options and they've got loads of attacking options as well. Um, Next, Madison can either play in behind Vardy. Or if you're going to go full on Southgate, then he could play in that. You have Ndidi in front of the back three, and then Silver and Madison in those kind of two in front, and then you've got say Ian Acho and Vardy up front. So there yeah, are options. Or, yeah, or you could have Gray supporting Vardy or Diabate or you know anybody like that. Um, so the, the, they've got so many players in the squad that that have that have uh, qualities to fit that formation. Um, so I would like to see Puel try it, but I think. Come the start of the season, I still think it will be a back four. Potentially, so we'll we'll get a chance to see the first experiments um, from Club Well uh, a, w- a week on Saturday when Leicester go to Notts County for their first pre-season friendly. We'll be back before then uh, to bring you more podcast on Ding Ding Dong, and also check back on the Mocha website for all of the updates um, coming out over the week. And we shall see you next time. Thank you for joining us.